Okay, so I'll give you this, TAS. This is not so bad so far. We've had three episodes in a row that I would consider at least decent. Now, that's a pretty strong start. I mean, we haven't had the Mages of Megas 2 yet, but <clears throat> point being, I'm with it. This episode was penned by Mark Daniels. You may or may not remember him. I talked about him a lot in the TOS stuff as a director and writer who also who did, among other things, The Menagerie, Space Seed, Doomsday Machine, Mirror Mirror, and Spock's Brain. And obviously, he was requested to come back and go do an episode here, and this is his only one, so don't get too used to it. By the way, if you're paying attention, that's a trend. The first episode was written by someone who only wrote one episode. The second episode was written by someone who only wrote one episode. And the third one is written by someone who's only written this one episode. Huh. Anyways, at long last, finally, Walter Koenig's replacement speaks. Eric's speaks. He actually has several lines of dialogue in this one. We'll see the return of Wesley. No, not that one. Bob Wesley from The Ultimate Computer. Did I do a Wesley joke back in that episode? He was the Commodore, the one who eventually gambled that, you know, that he, Kirk was in charge because he lowered the shields and then he didn't destroy the ship. That whole thing. Decent stuff, decent stuff. I, 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 I got a comment on something. I know this isn't unusual, but I noticed the cast list of this episode, and something about it wigged me out, because I noticed that despite the fact that there's, you know, a relatively small cast, you know, uh, character list, the cast is seven people, and all of them are the original stars. As usual, James Doohan voices all the extras, and I just stare at this like... Well, actually, that's not true. Major Barrett was the other, but you get my point. Like, it's just, it's the core team, right? And that's why I bring this up. It's so weird looking at this and recognizing that, you know, it's, it's I'm just staring at right here. William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, George Takei, Nichelle Nichols, Major Barrett, James Doohan. That's it. Seven. That's It's just, that's it. And that's the animated series in a nutshell. And I do think it's to its detriment, but of course, as usual, budget. So the episode starts off strong and hard. It's a very big threat episode. We've got this giant cloud. It just ate a planet. Holy crap. Psychological question. And I love that they bring this up. Do we notify them? This is actually a fantastic and wonderful question. Entire shows, movies, and games, and probably books, have been done about this very question. Do you inform people that they are going to die? Especially if you can only save some of them, which arguably makes it worse. If everyone's going to die, that's a thing. But if some of them can live, that's arguably worse. Do you inform people? Do you do the mass panic? What I love about it is they, they quickly and efficiently show both sides of the equation. Is it better to be blindsided by it, or is it better to, to start a mass panic? Fortunately, Mr. Wesley, yes, no, not that one, uh, he's there, and he's someone who they believe can have the command presence to take care of it, and he's a Commodore who's just tired from Starfleet. By the way, this is in keeping with the way they've been portraying Commodores in T TOS, that there's, you know, the, the fleet, you know, the elite, the, the, the brass, or whatever they're called, they actually have a specific word for it in Court Martial. And then there's the retired group, and that's the Commodores who take care of stations. 
And there's kind of a social dynamic there, a political balancing act going on there, which I just think it's cool that they're continuing that. But then again, Mark Daniels, rather familiar with TOS, makes sense. Anywho, there's good tempo. Everything just kind of moves nice and efficiently, and we get through the beats. There's this nice bit where, you know, Wesley, Bob, is talked about, talking about his options. He is, uh, you know, they calm him, and it's like, so what's the deal? He says, there's no choice. We're going to save the children. And I kind of like that he just automatically jumps on that, because, yeah, while there are arguably other choices you can make, depending on perspective, I do like how he d- he just flat out lays it, no, there's no choice. We're going to save the kids. About 8,000 of them, I think it was, out of several million. So, you know, that's neat. How many ships do you think were there at the time? They probably have at least a ship, like, assigned to the planet. Probably a low-level cargo or transport ship, you know, just so they have something. But I wonder if any of the, the transport ships or the shipping lanes or whatever happened to have ships in range that could get some people off. Just just food for thought for something we never really see in the background. There's You can do a whole story from Bob's perspective on this episode. The solution to, to dealing with this is kind of interesting, too. Their power is being drained like crazy. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then they're like, oh, hang on. There's antimatter there. Let's just go and grab some and put it in the engines as fuel. I have to admit, I have all of the questions about just grabbing a chunk of antimatter and using it as fuel. But let, let's, let's just move past that and instead get on to the halfway point of the episode. These are pretty short episodes. It's actually funny. I, I anticipate... I will get a few comments on the previous ones, uh, the previous ruminations I've done here, because each rumination so far has been longer than the episode in question. Don't worry, that will almost assuredly not be true going forward. These are probably going to be pretty short by rumination standards because these are 24 minutes instead of 44 minutes, excuse me, 22 minutes instead of 44 minutes, and duh, right? That's the same reason that we're doing two streaminations a week for 24 minute episodes as opposed to one for a 44 or 22. I keep saying the wrong number. So. <clears throat> We shift over from threat to a little bit of a dilemma. Because it's still a threat, but now it's how do we approach it and how do we deal with the long-term ramifications and is it okay to kill something that's alive? Do we kill intelligent life to save Mantilles? And if you notice that the second good dilemma that they've showcased in this episode, especially since Kirk questions it, Kirk, Kirk also realizes, well, Spock points out that it'll take the destruction of the ship to do it. Note how Kirk doesn't hesitate so much as one second on that point. Just, okay, you're sure it'll work, right? Yep, okay. That's all he wants to confirm, is that it will, in fact, work. So he gives the order, and the self-destruct is ready to go. And I do like this episode, despite not having much to say about it. Uh, It has good pacing, good tempo. The music is actually properly used for once. The first time I've seen it in TS. I know we're only on the third episode. And the threat is well presented, and the solutions are creative, if insane. And I do like how at the end they try to communicate with this thing, which I suppose brings me to two points. Three. Let's do three points. First of all, there's several poses that I noticed show up for the first time in this episode. I say poses. They're actually animations, but the animation cycles. One is Spock going like, in his chair. We'll see this later when he starts casting magic. No, I'm never letting that go. I'm going to laugh if that's actually a good episode. The other is the... like I, I don't know how to do it, probably. I'm, I'm on the, the wheels here on my chair, but he, they just kind of have this weird back-and-forth thing as they're running at the camera. It looks really awkward. But this is the first time we see that. It got a laugh out of me. Second point I wanted to comment on. I like this episode. They use the computer... 
and, and tie it into the Universal Translator, and then tie it into Spock's psychic abilities to, to reach out and, and communicate with the, with the cl- No, no, we already had the antimatter fuel thing. Let's just, just move on. Let's just move on. So, crystalline entity. What's funny is this is actually at a larger scale than the crystalline entity, at least in, in technically. I mean, it is obviously a bigger thing. The crystalline entity would also eat planets, but it would do so slowly, so there's stuff you could do about it. It's a lot easier to destroy the crystalline entity. All you need is the right frequency. This thing is a lot larger scale and a lot more terrifying. They specifically mention it's from another galaxy, and they specifically send it back to that galaxy, but this thing eats worlds. It is interesting to me that this thing has an intelligence to it and a sense of ethics, for lack of a better way to put it, that it does not want to kill other intelligent life. It's a nice mirror of the fact that they don't want to kill it. You know, Kirk does question it. He he still makes the call because it is the correct call. But it's arguably not the right call. And I do like the acknowledgement of that. It's also worth noting that this thing just ate another planet. And then within an extremely small period of time, within a pace of hours, I believe, they, it's going to consume another planet, this one completely full of life. Also, I, I want you to picture being on Earth and then being consumed by an amoeba, because that is horror movie material right there. Anywho, it's okay, you'd probably get dissolved a lot quicker than the rest of the planet, but still, ah, a skeleton gone. Anyways. I, the sad thing is I already discussed all of the major points about this salient idea back in the Crystalline Entity episode. Uh, well, I know there's two, but the, the second one, the one where they actually destroy the thing. Can you communicate? Should you communicate? Should you try to interact with this thing? Is this a situation where communication is feasible? We raised a bunch of questions about that, and that's actually one of my more commented on videos as of this point in time. Because a lot of people shared a lot of different thoughts on it, which I value, and I'm curious of your thoughts here as well, since this thing, they do succeed in communicating with it. Take that, future tech. They all, they just had to use magic this time. And they also uh, successfully convinced it to not eat people. I do find myself wondering, even if they send it back, did they just make things a lot worse for the other galaxy? They don't know that the other galaxy is where it should be. They don't know why it came here. Maybe it was sent as a weapon. Maybe it was banished. Maybe it roamed accidentally. The gulf between galaxies is gargantuan. They even mention it briefly in this episode. A long, long journey. So, what prompted this? There's a lot of questions that are left unanswered. And while this is a nice answer, I find myself wondering if it might have been better to go the crystalline entity route and just destroy the damn thing. But then again, they didn't have the right frequency, so I don't blame them on that. That's all I got. Relatively decent, relatively well-paced, well-tempoed threat episode with some flavorings of dilemma on top. I hope you've enjoyed. I'll see you next time.